Hey Rebels, my name is Matthew Barton. Welcome to the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. We've all had good bosses and bad bosses. When you head to work, the impact of the leaders in your workplace can make or break a team. So what is it that makes a good leader? What is it that makes a bad leader? Christine Saxon is a leadership coach and an instructor with the University of Regina's Center for Continuing Education. She joins us today to talk about her work and give you a few tips for your own work life. So let's get into it. Christine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matthew. So happy to be here. How's it going? It's going great. You're not based in Regina, right? You're you're out on the coast? I am. I was in Regina for, I think, 12 years, working with the University of Regina, Center for Continuing Education, but I also was full-time at good old Farm Credit Canada. And since then, I have moved back home to Vancouver Island. Okay. I know I gave a, a tiny preamble, but for the uninitiated... Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, good question. Um, I do a little bit of several things, but they're all related to helping people bring their best self forward. Mainly with leaders, I would say. Um, so, you know, the, the primary thing we're talking about today is um, being an instructor for the University of Regina with the Center for Continuing Education. And I've been doing that for, I don't know how many years, I'm gonna say eight or nine. I actually don't know how many, probably should look that up, hey? Um, but I love it. We get to uh, co-create is what we call it in adult education. We get to co-create an experience with leaders from a whole bunch of different industries with a whole bunch of different reasons that they're coming together and help them then right away go back to work and bring their learnings with them and just keep going. When I sat down with Stephanie and Vanessa to talk about their learning and their coursework with the leadership program, Stephanie was full of praise. She said you were so great and she spoke so highly of you. So when we're talking about the coursework you might have done with her, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I, I absolutely love what I do. I'm also an executive coach and a leadership coach. So what I do is I bring that to the classroom and I say to everyone, we're going to create a learning lab here together. I'm not going to stand up here and go wah, 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 wah. I certainly have lots to share with you and you're going to learn as much from each other as you do from me, hopefully more. Um, Matthew, it's so, it's, 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 I'm loving how effective it is since the pandemic hit and since we're doing more online learning because we all sit or a lot of us sit in front of this square box and it just feels so impersonal. So I made it my own challenge to really recreate the classroom experience for everyone sitting at home or sitting in their, in their office. And I bring some goofiness and I share my own examples and just bring being real to the classroom and it's it's risky because I'm not up there looking perfect and that's what I talk to leaders about is right the light's shining on me right now just like it is all of you and let's just do this together and it seems to really resonate with people when someone's new to this kind of leadership coaching thing sometimes I, I feel if you if you don't have a person who's been through it or to guide you or prep you on it it may seem a little daunting. 
Um, when I was offered leadership training, it was because Mark said, Hey, take this course, take this training, take this year long program. It's really great. And only because he had said so, did I take it? What are the types of people or who are the types of people that are plugging into these courses? Yeah, what a good question. A whole variety of them in terms of background, in terms of really where they are in their own leadership journey. So we have some people who are aspiring to be leaders and either like you, someone is, I don't know if you're aspiring, you're already a leader, but someone has come to them and said, hey, here's a program that would be great for you. Um, or, you know, I, I do lots of um, executive coaching and um, some of our customized programs through University of Regina are with the CEOs, the executive directors, the, the C-suite folks. So it's everyone in between, whatever level they're at. Generally, the ones who choose to come, um, for some reason, have found out the value of it, right? Whatever that reason is, from someone they know or they just themselves naturally want to grow to expand. Um, and the reason that's so important is it's always with, with coaching and with leadership development, it's not about how do I make my team better over there? It's about how do I start with me? What am I doing that's working? What am I doing that's getting in the way? What are the things that we call blind spots, which are things others can see about us, but we can't see ourselves. I love that you mentioned blind spots and the things we can't see about ourselves. Uh, because I, I laughed out loud when you said you were talking about emotional intelligence with your teaching. Um, when I was going through leadership coaching, I scored like a 10 out of a hundred on emotional intelligence. <laughs> and that was the thing that I really focused on in, in the individualized coaching was how do I pull those numbers up? How do I lift up emotional intelligence? Um, so I wanted to say to you, let's, let's start with what is emotional intelligence and why is it important? Yeah, I love that you, I love that you've got that experience to share, Matthew. And one of the most beautiful things about emotional intelligence, when we compare it to other things, like lots of people are familiar with Myers-Briggs, for example, personality theory that tells you, here's how you were born. Right? There's some things about us that we're, we're stuck that way. Not stuck, we can certainly stretch, but we are a certain way, more introverted, more extroverted. The beauty of emotional intelligence is it can be grown. Right? So you saying you were 10 out of 100? Yeah, we all start wherever we are. And that's, I, I say that almost every class that I teach. So I wonder if Stephanie experienced that in class with me. I'll say, I meet people where they are. So if you're a 10 out of 100, then let's start there. If you're 96 out of 100, great, let's start there. And some of the people who are 96 actually benefit from turning it down. So I use a volume button metaphor quite often because it's not just, here's your Myers-Briggs, you're an ISTJ and that's it, right? It, it's okay, you know, you got high empathy, sometimes it gets in the way. You, know, you, you feel each other, feel other people's emotions and it can become too much. Sometimes low empathy means you don't notice what's going on in the room. So we talk about how to adjust to that and emotional intelligence, you can grow through. I'm still growing my rest of my life, I'm going to be. Emotional intelligence, so EI and EQ are two of the terms, and they get used interchangeably. EI refers to that type of intelligence. EQ is the measure of it. So there are, there are actual valid and reliable psychometric assessments we can now do to rate our EQ. Um, basically, in a nutshell, it's um, emotional intelligence. If you were to picture four quadrants, it's about awareness and management. 
So awareness of self and your emotions and then management of them. And then awareness of others and ability to go, hey, that person's crying. I bet I know what emotion that might be. And, and identify it, be aware of it, but also manage it in the context of relationship. So self and other awareness and management. That's the, those are the nuts and bolts of EI. Having been locked at home with the whole COVID thing with my wife, uh, we sat down and she's done some of this leadership coaching pieces too. And we laughed because she is, like you said, rocking those 90s in terms of EI. And she howled when it was, I was at 10. <laughs> and like you said, uh, she can read a room. She can tell what people are thinking. She can predict how people are going to react. And I'll be in that exact same room and have seen none of the things she said, observed none of the things she saw. She goes, well, so-and-so's face, didn't you see it? And I'm like, what? No. no. <laughs> none of that. But she, on the flip side, I, I like when you mentioned uh, there's different advantages. She goes, you never get offended. You know, somebody can say anything. She's like, I can say anything to you. You have like a thick rhinoceros skin. It doesn't phase you. And I'm like, was, was I supposed to be offended? <laughs> she goes, that's, that's something that's really cool about you is you can focus on the facts and not worry about that emotional piece. She's like, the problem is that you run into is when somebody needs that emotional feedback and you, you can't, you got nothing. <laughs> right. So I was thinking about that in terms of, uh, what are some tips that people can uh, take when we're talking about EI and EQ? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I would say the tips, uh, so I, I always say I have this huge toolkit over here and then I figure out what's going on for the person. I paddle my boat beside people. That's my metaphor. And I actually have a little sketch that I made of two kayaks. And I'm the one a little bit behind and I toss tools to the person, right? Toss them some equipment as we go because it's their paddling, their journey. So it depends on the person what the tips would be. If we play with this example you're using of your wife and you on you know, opposite ends possibly of that empathy or emotional radar, if we want to call it that, um, a tip for her actually would be, how's your energy? Are you, are you so permeable? Do you feel so much in the room that you might notice it more than is useful and drain your own battery just from feeling other people's feelings? Um, another thing that happens to those of us who are super high, um, there's, there's actually a categorization, Matthew, I don't know if you've heard of it or if, or if your wife might have mentioned it, called HSP, that stands for Highly Sensitive Person. And there are some people whose radar is just tuned right up. They're sometimes also sensitive to scents or sounds, or but absolutely to, to emotions. And a lot of them have been told their whole lives, you're too sensitive. And I reframe that and go, you're not too sensitive. I know you've heard that. You are that sensitive. So what do we want to do about it? And then I have tools for that to help people turn it down. For someone on the other end, potentially, of, the, of that continuum who doesn't notice, one of the tips that uh, I, I work with a lot of people who are highly sensitive, a lot of people who are not, and I mainly work in my coaching with people who are in agriculture, banking, higher education, post-secondary, and a lot of the accountant types, I would say, not all of them for sure, but there's a box that you're attracted to, this, the stats, the numbers, and not necessarily as tuned in empathetically. Um, such a simple shift this is, is when you're talking to someone to say, not just, hey, what do you think about this? But what do you think or feel? 
And then it invites the people who have a feeling rather than a thought to answer. And I have people and I'll say, try this for two weeks. Let me know how it goes. And they're like, people are just telling me how they feel. They just know Christine and they're able to name it. I can't name it, but this is cool when they tell me because then I don't have to guess, right? I love that you use those examples. Uh, that's directly what came out of the individualized coaching uh, that I was seeing. Uh my coach, uh, she's been on the pod, Linda, uh, she's great. She, she said, why don't you, here's three things to try. And I wrote them down on paper. She goes, I want you to try each of these over the next couple of weeks and see how it goes. Um, but because of COVID we were so locked down, I wasn't interacting with coworkers. So she's like, you know what? Interact with the people in your life, your family, um, the, the few people that you do have. So I was, here I am trying to apply it to my relationship with my wife and my wife was like, we should have sent you to leadership coaching 10 years ago. <laughs> she said it was so good for our marriage yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with these tools. And it, then it got me thinking, what have I missed for these 15, 20, 25 years of my work life when trying to be a leader, when trying to come apart? And it was a real aha light bulb moment. And I'm, I'm sure you, you must have an example of when that happens to people you're working with. Absolutely. I encounter them often, like several times a week in my coaching and every class that I have, because I meet people where they are in, in each class. Um, I will have people come up to me partway through a class or at the end and say, there's this one thing, or I'm missing this, or what am I not getting? And they'll, they'll burst out in class. I hadn't thought about it this way before. Um, learning from what I bring forward, but also from each other. Um, you know, aha moments happen really constantly in class. One of the things that happens now is I'm not able to hear all of them because I send people to breakout rooms, right, Matthew, in, in Zoom learning. It's like, okay, go off to your rooms, but I can't really pop in as readily. So I get them to share when they come back and I get them to acknowledge each other and say, hey, so-and-so said this and it was really helpful for me. And in a way that's almost better because it's not me leading, it's them. So some of the examples, um, examples that people are having are around things like um, things that you can't step into yourself, like understanding what it's like to be neurodiverse. And someone in a class, you know, in a breakout saying, hey, I'm on the autism spectrum. I have Asperger's. And the other person going, what's that like? And really getting to experience that. Or saying someone else saying, um, I'm, I'm gender diverse in the, in the, well, in any of the classrooms. But in particular, I teach um, leading in a diverse environment. And we set up the class so that people are able to be really open. That's the beauty. This is what feeds my soul. People, we create together such a trusting and open open classroom that people can go as deep as they want to or not, right? If they're more private, they don't need to share. Um, so it's, yeah, there, there are ahas constantly. And I always put a slide at the end that says, here's my email. As you move forward and you discover new things, feel free to let me know. And I'd say about twice a month, I hear from someone, I, I tried that thing. I did the thing. I asked the question that way and it worked. Is there a specific anecdote, like I know you're not going to name names because you got to respect the privacy of your clients, but is there a specific moment that stands out to you recently as like a, man, this, this was something that I could take to a future class as like a real insight, you know, this, this is the value of this work. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a leader come up to me at the end of the diversity class 
and he was super pumped. He was stoked. He was like, this is amazing. I've never thought this way before. I grew up in a small town. He said, there's just one thing. And I said, what's the one thing? And he said, I don't understand gender diversity. I don't get it. To me, a, a guy's a guy, a girl's a girl. And I went, okay, you don't get it. So but we watched some videos and stuff. What do you think? He goes, well, well I kind of get it, but, and he just went, oh my gosh, Christine, I need to go meet someone. I need to meet someone who's gender diverse. <laughs> and I said, how are you gonna do that? He said, I have no freaking idea, but I can't wait for it to happen. Cause he realized he is very in the moment. He needed to experience it. And uh, it opened his mind. It opened his possibilities uh, of uh, what to watch for and what to ask. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, if you if you were never exposed to certain things, um, if you never experienced things in your life, how would you know? I remember this funny story from back in university. We went to Vancouver. And we were walking downtown and one of the guys that was with us was from small town, Saskatchewan. His graduating class was two people mm -hmm. and we had walked down the street for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And he turned to me and he goes, I've never been in a space where there were no white people because uh, yeah. we were walking through Chinatown and we were looking at comic books and just wandering. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, it's just always been white people yeah. all the time. And I, it never clicked for me because different experience, but for him having grown up in a small town, so small. And he was like, you don't understand when I went to Regina, that was the big city. He goes, I'd never seen a skyscraper before. He goes, that was huge. He, now he's in Vancouver and he's like, he's like, we just walked 20 minutes and we didn't see a single white person. And for him, that was a massive revelation. Uh, it's, it's funny. It's just, I, if you, if you, circling back to the guy's experience with you, if you've never experienced it, how would you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and never got to, this is one of the things that as instructors, we really pride ourselves on is setting up such a safe environment and having the class set it up together saying, what's going to get in the way of you bringing it? You just asking those questions, you totally being yourself so you can walk away how you want to. And they define it together. We write it up on the board and there we go. And they use it. Um, I have things that, you know, similar to what you just said, I had an experience where someone said to me, I had, I grew up in a small town and I had never seen a black person, she said. And the first time I did, and she said, I walked up to him and I said, sir, can I touch your skin? And this was a while ago. This was like 20 years ago, not, not teaching for CCE. And she said, he was really polite to me, thankfully, and didn't get offended because I realized, no, that wasn't so good. And we now call those microaggressions, actually. Right. So this person was probably a little tired of being asked, you know, how do you do your hair? How, you know, let me touch your skin. And for her, she said, I am similar to what you're saying. She said, I've watched, you know, shows on TV for years and I've seen people with different colored skin. I just had never experienced it. I needed to talk to someone. So in the classroom, people are welcome to share whatever they're comfortable with and encouraged to stretch into their into their leadership. And and it amazes me. Every single class, it amuses me what people will do and what they'll show, share with each other. Um, there are so many more people with a family member with mental illness than we realize. There are so many more people with, um, especially during pandemic, with significant mental health impacts, with 
um, people who in their family have a child or a sibling who is neurodiverse, who is, was or wasn't diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And what does that mean? And every, you know, the old adage that everyone is walk, walking their own path and um, everyone really is. And there's an expectation, you know, you started saying what's well, a good, bad, a good leader versus a bad leader. And we, we've all had them. I like to say a good day versus a bad day or a good moment versus a bad moment because I do truly believe everyone is doing their best and sometimes our best is pretty messy and we're learning, which is why I think people really value the type of learning environment that, that I set up and really say, let's try things, try things here, try them out, ask people if they're offensive, ask people how they would react. Um, and then you can go back and, you know, practice here and practice every day. Being self-aware is hard. <laughs> Being reactive is easy. Uh, critical thinking is laborious. So when, when we talk about the new management reality with uh, post COVID world, can, can you unpack that for me a little bit? Like it keeps bubbling up. I see it in the media. Oh yeah. I can, I can do, I can start to, I mean, we could, we could spend 12 podcasts on this one, Matthew. Um, what I'm so I, I have um, I have leaders that I'm coaching actively in four countries right now and teaching teaching um, with CCE and I also actually have a leadership program that I started six years ago in Germany at a university um, for academic leaders so a real range of experiences you can imagine and what's happening since the pandemic is in common for all of them regardless of industry regardless of country regardless of you know, the individual. One of the biggest things is um, capacity. Leaders are doing what they did before and their teams need so much more because of hybrid work, because of working from home, because of changing regulations, because of mental health impacts. So for some of them, it really is like their job has doubled or expanded to twice the size, maybe, we would say. Um, and the, the temptation, well, any, any of their default behaviors, here's an interesting one, their default behaviors, their kind of go-tos that aren't serving them like they used to. So someone who had a bit of a perfectionism tendency, the volume's been turned up and some of them are saying, fine, I'll just do it myself because it's too complicated and, you know, I'm losing staff and people are burnt out and um, those who um, didn't read a room well, right, like we talked about. They're, they're doubting themselves and having imposter syndrome. And it's just, it's a real pressure cooker as like, you know, as you reference and we're hearing it. And so of course there's, there's the great resignation going on, not just because, Ooh, wouldn't it be nice to move to Vancouver Island and work remotely there? Cause trust me, we're seeing that happen here. Um, or wouldn't it be nice, honey, if we could just retire early and simplify our lives. It's definitely not that it is also capacity, overwhelm and burnout. Um, emotional intelligence is so critical in all of this and um, emotional awareness. A lot of people are so overwhelmed. I call it the red hot emotion. The red hot emotion is winning now, whereas pre-pandemic we were able to go, oh, I'm feeling quite frustrated right now. Maybe I should take a pause. We actually are, uh, I, I'm, I'm a nerd and I read lots of books about neuroscience and I follow psychology today and, and read as much as I can on emotional intelligence. And I would say the most significant thing that I can share that's happening to all of us and then think how it's happening for leaders is a type of thinking 
that is a, a cognitive distortion actually, or a thinking error is happening. And it's called either or thinking. So that polarized thinking where it's either me or you, there's not one, you know, we can't both be right. It's either me or you, or it's either, you know, my, my party or yours. Look at the polarization in the news. It's not just because of external things that are going on. It's our brains are on high alert going too much, too complex, too scary. It's either us or them. It's either you're right or you're wrong. It's either blind trust or suspicion. And we've lost those gradients in between. And this is psychology today and some of the neuroscience stuff is showing how incredibly prevalent this is and incredibly impactful because we're losing our kind of what, what we like to call common sense and those gradients and those other options. So that would be the biggest one I would say that humans and certainly leaders are experiencing. What impact is that having on businesses um, and possibly even society? Yeah, yeah. So society, again, we'd need 12 podcasts. My master's is in political science, and I'm certainly watching what's going on in society. Um, in business, Poli-sci nerd here. <laughs> in businesses, um, think silos. Think us versus them between departments. Think how, of a process, an end-to-end -end process that goes through teams, stepping on toes, not communicating. Uh, layer on to that Zoom and the, the, um, the death the death of the uh, quick check-in over in the coffee room or the pop into someone else's office to check, do a little temperature check, which is a big component of emotional intelligence, just checking in. Well, the check-in the check-in feels super weird and awkward now. Hey, Matthew, I'm going to send you a Zoom invitation for just a little 15-minute talk about a little thing that came up. Is just not happening. Whereas I would have popped in your office on the way down to my next meeting. Uh, we would have gone for a walk, maybe. We would, would have gone for a beer to our local brewery in the evening and chatted about it, right? It's just not happening. This is prevalent. This is, and I actually, um, as a as a ICF certified coach, I get to be in these webinars and stuff with coaches around the world. That one is happening everywhere. People are, the, the loss of connection like you referenced earlier is one of the biggest impacts on being able to lead. How do you lead if you don't have your people? One of the things I deeply, deeply miss, it's been two years now of this crap, is the ability of our team to get together for a beer and sit down and just be creative and throw ideas at each other. And when I look at what we've been doing on uh, social media with our marketing, uh, recipe development, all of these things used to happen so organically. And we've lost a lot of that. Um, our team has pulled apart. It has deeply affected us. And yet we're cognizant and aware of it. We're trying to manage it. And then I think, well, geez, what the hell are the other breweries doing if they're not even thinking about this? What are other businesses doing if they're not even thinking about it? And when you said that red hot emotion, that reactive us versus them, man, that really resonates. Yeah. And what, one, one of the coaching tools for that, and I talk about this in several of the classes, is called Name It to Tame It. So this is a little bit of pop neuroscience, but it's based on 
what we're these amazing things we're learning about the human brain just by naming that emotion you referenced your wife being highly emotionally aware and emotionally intelligent being able to just name i feel what is it what is it? oh it's not frustrated it's irritated yeah and it's not really serving me this wonderful control center called our brain hears that when you name it and starts turning it down it's like oh he's listening okay okay everyone turn it down he's got it just naming and saying i feel sad i feel angry i feel worried starts turning it down because our brain our 85% of our brain is just running 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 our automatic brain so we have this little 15% that we can work with just simply naming it and then going oh is this serving me well rather than irritated what would i rather feel what's a cooler cooler emotion well, how about a little annoyed? Annoyed would serve me better, and it's not going to leak out and impact relationships. So that's one. That's one with that red hot emotion that can really help. And to your point, what's happening for those other breweries, the other businesses? They're losing people. They really are losing people. Oh, like the capacity, the knowledge, the yeah. the experience. And I I just think broader for. Um, not just our economy, but our, the healthfulness of our society going forward. If people just like, eh, I'm not showing up today. I'm out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm giving it my half. Yeah. And people are, there's somehow social license to do that now. And it's called, oh, it's the pandemic. Um, we recently moved um, and we just moved across town and we had, we had movers all booked and then they didn't show up. Two hours passed and they didn't show up. Up and we had to move out of our place and people moving in and so my partner called the company and they said oh yeah right we're trying to get a driver our driver and our swampers just decided not to show up today we'll do our best and that's all they could offer so engagement is a big part of leadership getting helping people be engaged and that's when you were talking about you know how do we how do we connect how do we right socialize you know how do we be together one of the biggest drivers of employee engagement is your relationship with your manager. So that, that this emphasis on leadership is so important. And then the, right, it's, it's, a, it's a yes and no. It's a yes, we need our leaders. And no, our leaders don't have capacity. So helping them balance that is so important. The, the leaders that I'm coaching and the ones in class that when we've talked about this that are sharing their experiences that are helping are saying they are having one-on-one -on -one calls way more often they're having one-on-one -on -one calls with each of their employees maybe double what they would have before because they need to replace the pop-ins right the quick office stop-ins um they're sending little gifts they're just doing i, I had one one leader in regina and she and the other leaders arranged this around the christmas around the december holidays sat there in their cars and it was like the height of like six feet or 12 feet, please, right, of, of staying away from people. And they had little gifts that they got together personalized and they did like a little drive-through service for all of their staff. So it took a huge effort and had a major payback in terms of coming back in January, people feeling valued. So we, we're learning, right? We're doing things differently. I like that you brought that up because one of the things our team did was we assembled little beer tasting kits and then everybody went and picked up their kits and we had an all team zoom call, a beer tasting and snackies together at a distance online. And then we played 
online games through our phone on a shared app where you could play little mini games. So we're in the chat together on Zoom, kind of talking smack and, and having goofing off and having fun and then playing the games and just, it was a little bit of team building in a time when we were all very apart. And such a lovely example, in my opinion, of human resilience. Like we are figuring this out. We are not, I use the metaphor a lot of paddle your own boat. I actually have a little YouTube channel um, where I post, I go out of my kayak in a little bay, bay here in Comox and hold my phone up and do a little selfie. And for about six or seven minutes, I just talk about one of these strategies. People like this snackable content. And the, the concept behind coming together behind doing these things is so important and it's human resilience. We're still paddling. We're paddling awkwardly where we were really wonky at first. Then we kind of, we pulled our, our kayaks up on shore for a while and went, what the heck is even going on? And we're still paddling. We're trying different, different paddles. We're getting other people in our boats, right? Like the metaphor is out because we are, the waters got rough. And by and large, even with these extreme, like there, we can't just go, oh, everything's rosy. The mental health impacts are widespread, not fully understood and so impactful. And we're still, we're still paddling forward. Well, plug your links for me. Where can people go to learn more? Where should they go? Yeah, if they're wanting to uh, get involved in the leadership development stuff, um, U of R, their, their website is no more, do more. So no as in K-N-O-W, not no more, <laughs> but no more, do more. And so that would be the place to go right now to see what the different certificate programs are. Um, some people just choose to take some of the micro credentials, which are a real short little kind of like my little mini videos, right? Um, some sign up for the for the full professional leadership or professional management certificates. I'm going to plug, we have an advanced leadership certificate program that we probably started, well, I think we're on our fifth cohort now. And it's a pretty sweet little one because it's for someone who's already done, like, like I think you said, Stephanie has done some of the, some of the classes, two of your, two of your team have. Um, once someone finishes one of those certificates or has one from somewhere else, they can see if it's equivalent. We have an advanced leadership certificate program and we do an emotional intelligence assessment as part of it. So they do the EQI and they find out if they're 10 out of 100 or, you know, 72.5. But ultimately they find out it's really deep searching about self because it starts with self and then through understanding self and our defaults, you understand others. So the ALC, the Advanced Leadership Certificate, may be one that some of your listeners are interested in going like, okay, I've kind of done some of this stuff. What's next? It's a real small cohort experience. The next one's in the fall and will be promoted soon. And that's a pretty sweet one. Cause like you said, you've worked with a coach, they get to work with a coach. They also get the cohort experience. And we do, we do five different modules with different instructors. And I'm one of them. So they get to come hang out with me. Um, for myself, my, my YouTube video, if anyone wants to check it out, just look for Paddle Your Own Boat, Christine Saxon, spelled C-R-I, no H, because I'm H-less. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the difference these courses have made for our team. When I see Stephanie running somebody through an interview process for a job hire, when I see her managing her team or clients, when I look at what Vanessa's doing with her crew, I think, wow, we are so much stronger, so much more resilient 
for having had these courses and for their commitment to this learning. I, I, I'm just a big booster of it. I, I'm a, I'm, you've converted me. I'm a believer because I've seen it happen. Like I can see it and feel it at work. That's so wonderful to hear. That's, that fills our buckets, right? As instructors, because we're not just there to go want, want, want. We just engage so deeply, really, with, with each person in the class and we meet them where they are. And then everyone gets to go back where they are and start there and move forward. And you'd see it differently probably in both of them, right? Because one size does not fit all. Yeah, fabulous. Well, Christine, thank you for your time today. It's been such a pleasure, Matthew. I feel like I need to go get a, a beer soon, although it's only kind of mid-morning here, so I'll wait till tonight. But It's always a good time for a beer. Rebels, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, be sure to join us on our brand new Facebook group page, The Rebellion Brewing Podcast. I'm going to include links in the show notes so you can find all things Christina Saxon. I'm also proud to let you know that we're members of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. It's a one-stop shop for tons of locally produced shows from across our province. You can find them at saskpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped so you don't miss out on the latest in Sasscraft Beer news. Thank you for joining the Rebellion.